Habakkuk for our scripture reading. Let me uh, also mention again, I believe it's in your bulletin, but I just want to highlight it now, that on September 17th, we're going to have a membership class here at the church. And uh, it will be right after everything else that takes place on Sunday. And uh, we're just going to be here. We're going to have a meal together. And uh, we're going to talk about the documents of the church, the Constitution, doctrinal statement, and things like that, um, just to give you more information. Um, So if you're interested in becoming a member or interested in just knowing more about the church, uh, that's the place to be. And it'll go for about an hour or so. So Part of that depends on just how long it takes us to eat. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not uh, real long. And if you're interested in that, uh, please let me know. And I will get you a copy of those documents so you can review ahead of time. It's, Im- it's important to make that time go as efficiently as possible that you at least read through the documentation ahead of time. So, um, we're going to read, or I'm going to read Habakkuk. I changed the limits. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, and go to the end of chapter 2. And uh, so, just go to chapter 1. And I told the kids, for their kids' questions that I do, all I give that to them, and it relates to the Scripture reading. And I told him, I was like, this, uh, the answers to the questions, you'll probably have to wait till the message before you get the answers. Okay, because it's Habakkuk. It's kind of hard. Um, and and um, one of them was like, the message? What do you mean the message? Aren't the answers in the Bible? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> they're in the Bible, but I'll talk about them in the message. So, Habakkuk, hopefully you found Habakkuk by now. Probably not too many of us have our Bibles worn out there in Habakkuk. Short um, book of the Bible, three chapters long. But uh, this scripture relates to our passage today because Paul quotes from it. So, you follow along as I read Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations. Let me just add here, the Lord is responding to Habakkuk now in verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your day which you would not believe though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from them. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than even wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry Come from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earth mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Habakkuk responds to God now again. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? 
We shall not die. O Lord, You have appointed for them judgment. O Rock, You have marked them for correction. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all, uh, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, we sacrifice to, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their snare is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Then at the beginning of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch and see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. And so now comes the Lord's answer. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Hello. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's our phrase that we're going to see in Romans. But the just shall live by his faith. Verse 5. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied, he gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many people and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a house with bloodshed, who establishes, establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations wearying themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. The other utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of the beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? A molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. 
Woe to him who says to wood, awake. To silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. So that's Habakkuk chapter 1 and 2. Now turn to Romans chapter 1. We're eventually going to come back to Habakkuk. But I want us to consider Romans chapter 1. Oh, by the way, I forgot my watch today. <laughs> I, do, I do have my phone up here, but you've got to touch it to make it uh, show up. So I'll, I'll try to do that from time to time. So this morning, uh, we're continuing our study here. And um, in... Verse 14, as we have begun studying this section that begins in verse 14, uh, we have talked about three R's. The first R in verse 14 is what? I asked this last week, and it was a total and utter failure. What's the first R? Verse 14, remember the outline I gave you? What's the R? Okay, that's backwards, but you got them. So the first one is responsibility. Responsibility. I am a debtor. I'm a debtor. So Paul's talking about his responsibility. Then in verse 15, he talks about his readiness. I am ready to preach the gospel. So the first two R's... This is to help you understand this section. The first two R's are, what's the first one? Responsibility. And the second one, readiness. Responsibility and readiness. And then Paul introduces, well, he doesn't introduce, I just put another R in there, and that's reasons. So we have responsibility, readiness, then reasons. And Paul gives four reasons for his ministry to the Romans. And these four reasons are for, F-O-U-R, for, four statements. So the number four, there are four F-O-R statements. And we see that in our Bible, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the first one. Talked about that last week. Secondly, right in the next phrase in verse 16, for it is the power of God to salvation. Talked about that last week. And so today we come to the last two of the four statements. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, verse 17, and verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. So keep this outline in your mind. It will help you understand these verses. Paul gives his responsibility in ministry. That's verse 14. He gives his readiness for ministry in verse 15. And then he gives his reasons for this ministry in verses 16 through 18. So let's pick up here in verse 17. And this is the third reason that he's giving here, the third reason. And it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the third reason for Paul's ministry to the Romans is that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, there's four things we have to consider about this particular verse. We have to understand what is the righteousness of God. What's that talking about, the righteousness of God? Secondly, we have to understand that how does this revealing take place? How is it, it says it's revealed. How is it revealed? Thirdly, we have to think about the phrase, 
from faith to faith. What's that talking about? From faith to faith. And finally, in this verse, we have to see how Paul connects Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, who, which he quotes here, to what he's saying in this passage. Just, or as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we've got to think about what's Paul doing with the Old Testament there. So the righteousness of God. Let's think about the righteousness of God here. When, when we look at this, man, this, we probably read this, you know, we probably try to read the letter of Romans at least once every couple years, and we at least get through chapter 1, right? So if you get through chapter 1, you read right through this. And so it would be easy for us to just kind of go over this and not talk about what is righteousness. Everybody knows what righteousness is. Don't they? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But this is an important word. It's a very important word. This word, righteousness, appears over 300 times in our Bible. And so what does it mean? What does righteousness mean? What does it mean to be righteous? So let's think about this a little bit. And the first thing I want to impress upon you is the importance of this word. It's a really important word, the term righteousness. In the New Testament, it's used 93 times. 93 times in the New Testament. We're not going to go through it, but uh, it would be a good thing to do. 93 times. 60, 60 of those times, it occurs in Paul's writing. So righteousness, when you look at everything that Paul wrote in the New Testament, righteousness is used 60 times by Paul. That's 60 out of 93 times Paul is using the word righteousness. 36 of those times occurs in the letter to the Romans. Think about that. The word occurs 93 times in the New Testament. 60 of those come from the pen of Paul. 36 of those occur in the letter to the Romans. Do you think righteousness is an important theme for Paul in the letter to the Romans? Absolutely it is. And this, in our passage that we're dealing with today, this was the first time it appears. So we need to get our bearings. We need to get our foundation laid as to what this word means because it's going to be used 35 other times. So we've got to know what it means. And uh, so this word, righteousness, is an important word. Now let's think about what it means. What it means. The foundational, a foundational idea to the word righteousness is the idea of a standard. Of a standard. An absolute standard. So in our house... When you go from the kitchen to the dining room, there is a passageway. There's a door frame. And on one part of that door frame, there's all these marks that start about here, and they go to right about here. And those marks represent the height of certain people at a certain age on a certain date. And we just mark them right there on the door frame. Now, when those people are being measured, so you get an accurate measurement, you've got to make sure that they're standing right. Their feet are in the right place, their head's up, their back straight, they're, they're standing right. And so you make a mark. And then after they move, you come back with your tape measure. And you use your tape measure to mark how tall they are because the tape measure is the standard. It's the standard. You know, have you ever thought in school when they gave you that stick of wood that you hit people with, they called it a ruler. You remember that? It's like every, I don't know if they do that anymore, but it used to be like every year when a kid goes to school, one of the things they get is a ruler. And they used to be made out of wood, right? They even had metal on them. They don't do that anymore, I don't think. But it's called a ruler. A ruler. Why is, have you ever thought, why is it called a ruler? 
Because it's telling you what the standard is. This is 12 inches. This is one foot long. So a foundational idea to the word of righteousness is there is an absolute standard. There's also a judicial idea or a legal idea that's attached to this word. The word righteous or righteousness was used in Roman, the Roman legal system of making a judgment. And often the idea was that someone was being judged as having broken the law. In other words, they did not live up to the standard of the Roman law. And so you have this foundational idea that righteousness involves an absolute standard and that there's a judicial process in place for judging whether somebody has met that standard or not. Now, the particular meaning here of the idea of righteousness, this term righteousness is this. Righteousness is a quality, a characteristic or an attribute of a person where they are described in terms of rightness, rightness. They are in a state of being right. When you think about that in terms of the foundational idea of righteousness as a standard, we can say this. Righteousness is the characteristic of being in line, being lined up with, agreeing with the standard, meeting the standard. If you think about it in the legal sense, we can say that righteousness is the judgment of the court that a person is innocent of breaking the law. They have found to be in line. They have, they're not guilty before the law. So righteousness is important. I know it might seem like I'm belaboring this point a little bit, but you've got to understand what is righteousness. Righteousness is talking about a standard, an absolute standard. And righteousness means, if someone possesses righteousness, it means that they are in line with that standard. They do not waver at all from it. That's what righteousness is. Now, If you look at your verse there, you look at that phrase, it doesn't say righteousness, period, does it? It says righteousness, what's the next two words? Of God. So the righteousness being spoken of here is related to God. It draws its meaning from God himself. And so this righteousness, this absolute standard that we're talking about is the righteousness of God. It originates with God. It comes from God. It's inherent to who God is. So righteousness is who God is. Righteousness is established by God. Righteousness comes from, the source of righteousness is God. So this means, this means when we talk about righteousness, when we see the word righteousness here in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Romans, it's telling us that God is the one who has set the standard. He set the standard for all, for every man. He has set the standard. That means... You don't get to. You're not the one who sets the standard. Your opinion doesn't matter when it comes to the standard by which you're judged. God is the one who set the standard. This also means that no man can meet that standard without God's intervention of some kind. So again... I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but you have to have some idea about what righteousness is, what the idea of righteous is, to understand what Paul is saying in this passage and even in this verse. Righteousness, the righteousness of God is the absolute standard found in God, established by God, and must be obtained. 
for one to have a right relationship with God. And so we see here that Paul says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So this righteousness is revealed. Let's talk about that, or let me talk about it. You listen, think about what does it mean that the righteousness of God is revealed? Well, here's some things that we see right away with this phrase, is revealed. That's a present tense, isn't it? It doesn't say God revealed His righteousness or His righteousness was revealed. It says is revealed. Something that is occurring presently, continuously. We should also note, and maybe... Some of your Bible translations do a better job of this than others. But this verb here is revealed is in the passive voice, meaning the actions done to it. So we need to add a word to at least my translation of the Bible. And so it reads like this, For in it the righteousness of God is being revealed. Something is revealing The righteousness of God. Something is causing the righteousness of God to be revealed. So what's the next question we should ask? Exactly. What is it? What is it that is causing the righteousness of God to be revealed? Look at your verse again. It says, for in it. Or by it, the righteousness of God is being revealed. So what's the it? What's the it? Do a little Bible study here. What's the it? There at the beginning of verse 17. The it goes back to verse 16. Look at the beginning of verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also for the Greek for in or by it by the gospel of Christ the the righteousness of God is being revealed and so it's by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ That the righteousness of God is being revealed. Being revealed. It's being disclosed. It's being uncovered. It's being made clear. And so the righteousness of God is being revealed at the present time by the gospel of Christ. And so as the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, it reveals the right standard of God. It is disclosing what it means to be right with God. That's what the gospel is doing here. It tells you how you can be right with God. Now, we haven't got to it yet, but Paul's going to explain how you're not right with God. Okay? That's coming up next. But now he says. The gospel tells you how you can be right with God. It's revealing God's righteousness. Let's look at the next phrase. Still in verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is telling us how one can possess The righteousness of God. The righteousness that comes from God. Now, as I was studying this particular phrase, it's only four words, right? From faith to faith. Four words. How complicated can it be? Well, there's no less than nine different interpretations on this particular phrase. Of these four words. Nine. Wouldn't it be exciting for us to work through all nine of those? Just kidding. So, I did work through them, though. (laughs) And as I went through them, it, it struck me 
that as pe- most of these interpretations, they're adding something to what these words say. They're adding something to the text. They say, this is from the faith of God to the faith of man. Or from God's faithfulness to man's faith. That's adding things to the text. What's the text say? From faith to faith. That's what it says. That's all it says. So, I'm kind of a simple person. Simple-minded. Just take the words for what they say. Let's just take it straightforwardly. From faith. From faith. That has the idea that it's from the starting point. From the beginning. From the beginning of faith. Then it says to faith. And that has the idea of going in a direction, to a destination, to an end, to a goal. So I take this to mean that the righteousness of God, which is being revealed by God through the gospel of Christ, can only be applied to you wholly and completely on the basis of faith. It only comes through the basis of faith. So from faith to faith means it's all by faith. From beginning to end, the whole thing is summed up in the word faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. The only way that you can have this righteousness from God is by faith. So this phrase, from faith to faith, is emphasizing the fact that the righteous requirement of God is only received by faith, by believing what the gospel of Christ says you are to believe. It's only received by believing the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the only way, by trusting in Christ, trusting in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, It's only by faith that you can have a right standing before God. And so Paul adds this next part of the verse. He says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So, uh, kids, this is where you want to pay attention to the kids' questions. Okay? So stop coloring pictures. Pay attention, because this is how you get treats. Okay? This is how we get, we bribe, we bribe our kids. And we promise them treats if they pay attention. But this is where you need, this is where your notes come in, okay? So Paul says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now keep in mind, here's what he's saying up to this point is that the righteousness of God is revealed, it's disclosed, it's, it's made uh, clear, and it's all about faith. It's all about faith. And then Paul quotes this line from the Old Testament. And he's quoting the Old Testament in an authoritative way, in an instructive way, and in an inspired way. And he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4. So let's turn back to Habakkuk 2.4, okay? Should be able to get there pretty fast since we already know where it's at. Habakkuk 2.4. Now, the book of Habakkuk is structured around two complaints. Okay, two complaints. The prophet Habakkuk is complaining to the Lord. And so he gives these two complaints. And then the Lord answers his complaints. So complaint one is found in chapter one, verses two through four. So that's Habakkuk's first complaint to the Lord. The answer that the Lord gives Habakkuk is found in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. That's answer 1. It's the Lord's answer to the first complaint. The second complaint is found in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Second complaint, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 
And then the Lord answers that complaint in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Verses 2 through 5. So let me just walk through those things real quickly here. Just, just real quick. This is not any type of exposition. This is more just a summary of what's happening here. So Habakkuk's first complaint in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk is complaining that God seems unwilling to intervene in the spiritual and moral decline of the nation of Judah. God, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you doing something here, Lord? Look at everything around here. You know, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Why aren't you doing something? And so in verses 5 through 11, the Lord answers. And if uh, the Lord, if I can paraphrase what the Lord says, he says, stand back, watch, I'm about to do something. Okay? You're complaining that I'm doing nothing? Tell you what I'm about to do. And what he says he's about to do is, I'm going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to judge Judah. I'm going to use them. I'm going to use this pagan people to judge my chosen people. Now, it's important to keep in mind that Habakkuk was probably written after the death of King Josiah and before Daniel was taken into captivity. Okay, It fits right in that time frame. It's only a few years. So this is probably when Habakkuk is written. And so the Lord says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians and they're going to be the ones who uh, mete out my punishment against the immorality and the wickedness of Judah. And now this leads Habakkuk to complain even more or make his second complaint in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Uh, Habakkuk is not all satisfied at all satisfied with the Lord's answer. <laughs> he does not like the answer that the Lord gives him to his first complaint. He doesn't think it's a good solution to have the Babylonians judge Judah. He does not think that it's right that the Lord would use a wicked people to judge other wicked people. And so that's his complaint. He's like, this is not a good idea, Lord. And then in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it's interesting Habakkuk's approach to the Lord here. He says to the Lord, I'm going to stand my watch. I'll be on the rampart. I'm paying attention here, Lord. I'm watchful here, Lord. He says, I'm going to wait to see what he, the Lord, will say to me, which sounds good. Then he has this little comment, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Habakkuk is not wanting an answer from the Lord. Habakkuk is wanting to argue with the Lord. He just thinks the Lord's all wrong here. And so the Lord responds in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, with his answer to that second complaint. And the Lord instructs the prophet to write the answer down. He needs to write it down so everybody who experiences the judgment of the Lord will know this is the judgment of the Lord. And uh, he says to him, the proud, in verse 4, the proud, his soul is upright in him. That's a reference to the Chaldeans. And then he's going to go on and explain in, in verses 5 six through the end of the chapter, how his judgment's going to come down and how these people deserve judgment. But it's here in verse 4 where we find the quotation that Paul uses. Verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. He does not have a straight soul. He's not a straight guy. He's crooked. He's crooked. He's perverse. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But, contrast, the contrast between the proud person is the just person. But the just shall live by his, my translation says, faith. 
So what does, uh, what's this talking about in Habakkuk? Well, I've already mentioned this as a contrast. The second thing we need to notice is the just shall live by, the word here is actually faithfulness. It's not faith. The just shall live by his faithfulness. By his faithfulness to the Lord. By his steadfastness to the Lord. Not by believing, but by his faithfulness. So within the context of Habakkuk, this means that despite of all the wickedness that's happening around, the righteous man is to live faithfully to the Lord. If you want to avoid the Lord's judgment that's coming, you need to be faithful. Now, that's, that's clearly, I think, that's not a disputed thing here in Habakkuk. The problem is, what in the world does Paul mean by quoting that verse? Quoting that part of the verse. So turn back to Romans again. Turn back to Romans chapter 1. Hopefully he caught all that about Habakkuk. Romans chapter 1. What is Paul doing here? Why does Paul quote this phrase from Habakkuk? The just shall live by faith. Well, I want you to notice that Paul makes a slight change to Habakkuk's words. In Habakkuk, it says, but the just shall live by his faithfulness. Paul says, in the quotation, the just shall live by faith. He drops the word his. He doesn't say by his faith. He just drops it out. He just says the just shall live by faith. And Paul uses a word faith here that could mean faithfulness, but in this context it doesn't. It's talking about the act of believing. The just shall live by the act of believing. Well, preacher, how do you know that? How do you know that Paul here is talking about the act of believing instead of the act of being faithful. Well, I know that because verse 16 tells me that. Look at verse 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who, what? Believes. He's talking about believing. He's talking about the act of of faith in this context. And so it is the gospel of Christ that is revealing the righteousness of God from faith to faith, all oriented towards faith, as it is written, the just shall live by believing, by having faith, by this act of faith. Here's what Paul is doing. I'm convinced that this is what uh, Paul is doing here. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, he keys in on two words, the word just and the word faith. Those two words appear right in our verse. The word just and the word faith. Righteousness in faith, This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to show the connection between the righteousness of God and faith. In Habakkuk, God is righteous in all of his activities. He sits in his holy throne in his temple. He, he's totally righteous in his activities towards the nation of Judah. He's totally righteous when he uses Babylon to punish the nation of Judah. Of Judah, It is right because they have not lived according to his standard. And here he's again emphasizing the connection between righteousness and faith. So for in it, in the gospel or by the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And it is written, the just shall live by Faith. We come into a right relationship with God. 
We can be recipients of his righteousness only by faith. At every turn in this letter, the Romans, and by extension us today, and anybody who reads this letter, at every turn in this letter, we are confronted by the fact that the only way you can be right with God is through faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ as described in the gospel. Paul is going to argue following this and the, and the rest of what we uh, have here in the first section. Paul is going to argue that even though creation informs you about God, it doesn't tell you how to be right with God. You can't be right with God just through what creation tells you about God. Paul is going to argue that just because you know right from wrong doesn't mean you're right with God. He's then going to argue that just because you belong to a special class of people doesn't mean you're right with God. And Paul's going to point out the Jews there, but let's bring that over to our day. Just because you belong to a church does not mean you're right with God. Just because you claim to be a Christian, a part of the wider Christian community, does not mean you're right with God. Paul goes on to argue that keeping rules and regulations, even good ones, like moral laws, doesn't mean you're right with God because none of those things, none of those things is what God requires for you to be right with Him. The only way you can be right with God is by following what God has said, what He has revealed about what brings you into a right standing with Him. Namely, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way that you can be right with God. I think that Paul is making this point, he's making it pretty strongly here at the very beginning of this letter, so that there is no question about where he stands as he makes his argument throughout the rest of the book. You only can attain righteousness, or receive righteousness, that's probably a better way to put it, through faith and Jesus Christ. So, that's, that's, that's like put exclamation point at the end of that. Now let's look at verse 18 real quick. I don't have a whole lot to say about verse 18 because verse 18 is going to come up next week. Alright? But uh, I do want to make some connections here. So look at what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth they, they have it. They hold it. They're holding it down. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, in this section, verses 14 through 18, verse 18 is the last reason that Paul has for, that he gives for his ministry there to the Romans. And so, this verse here acts as the closing to verses 14 through 18. And it acts as the beginning to the next section, verses 18 through 32. Actually, it opens up to all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. It begins that whole entire section. So Paul is closing the last section, verses 14 through 18, by telling them the final reason for his ministry to, the, to them, to the Romans, is the wrath of God. And he's beginning the next section where he's explaining who's, uh, who God has put his wrath on and why. And so let me just fill in some details about how this conclusion and beginning are working. The conclusion here to verses 14 through 18 is the reason that Paul has a sense of responsibility towards the Romans. He has a sense of readiness to preach the gospel to them. And it's because Paul understands the wrath of God. That people are under God's wrath. 
they are in line to receive God's wrath because of their sins. Paul understands that. And so that is one of the reasons for this ministry in Rome. And when, when we see this, we see that Paul understands God's wrath. It helps us to see why Paul's so eager to preach the gospel. Right? When you understand who is under wrath, that should be something that makes us eager to share the gospel with them. If you understand what God's wrath is and what it brings on a person, then that should motivate you to share the gospel with them so that they can be saved and not be under God's wrath. And so Paul concludes this this section with verse 18. And this is pointing us to the first major portion of Paul's letter. The first major portion of Paul's letter is going to tell us why justification, why the righteousness of God is needed. And so verse 18 also acts as a beginning. It acts as a beginning, not just a conclusion, but a beginning. And it introduces us to several things, or it begins this section that's going to introduce us to several things. It obviously introduces to the wrath of God, right? You see that right there in the verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. But it also is going to introduce us to general revelation. We'll talk more about that. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk more about it later. It introduces us to man's innate sense of spirituality and need to worship. Do you realize that every man has an innate sense of spirituality and a need to worship? A need to recognize a higher being. Every man has that. We're introduced to that in this coming section. Uh, This section introduces us to how sin works, both in history and in individuals. It introduces us to why man is inexcusable before God. Man is inexcusable for not knowing God. It also introduces us to the idea that complacency and tolerance of sin is just as bad as committing sin. And we see in this section man's disposition towards unrighteousness and the fact that he needs a work of God to be righteous. So we're introduced to all that. Furthermore, we're going to get answers to important questions in this section. Verse 18 is introducing us to a bunch of answers to questions. Questions like, what happens to people who never hear the gospel? What happens to them? Is it fair? Is God just in sending those people to hell? They've never heard the gospel. They have never had a chance to believe. This passage answers that question. It answers the question about God's justice. Is God just to condemn people? It answers the question, why do things seem to be getting worse and worse? It answers that question. It also answers a question that Paul would have never had, but we certainly have today. Even a question about evolution. Uh, This tells us that uh, evolution is not just a matter of how do you interpret the first chapters of Genesis, but it's actually based in the rejection of God. Humanistic philosophy, things like evolution, uh, are not based in how do you interpret the Bible. It's based in whether you do, do you accept God as God. And so we're going to be coming up on that here in the next few sermons. And uh, I give you a, a, um, I think I give you an outline. Did I give you an outline of the next section? The outline for the passage? It should be the last thing in your notes. Okay, so you you got that. So let me just summarize things as we conclude here. Here's a summary. In verses 14 through 18, We have seen Paul's responsibility in ministry. I am a debtor, verse 14. 
we have seen Paul's readiness for ministry. I'm ready to preach. Verse 15. We have seen the reasons that Paul wants to have this ministry in Rome. He's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to bring anyone to salvation based upon the one condition of faith. That the gospel of Christ reveals, is revealing the righteousness of God, which can only be obtained, can only be met by faith in Jesus Christ. And that God's Wrath is coming upon man because they are unrighteous. So this is, this is what this section has been all about. And it lays out for us, basically in a very small form, what is Paul going to be talking about in this entire letter. And so next week we're talking about why justification is needed. And we'll pick back up in verse 18. But I want, you to, I want you to walk away this morning thinking this, understanding this. The gospel, the truth of the gospel, couldn't be expressed more plainly here in this section. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, that we could have forgiveness of sins, and that we could have a new eternal life with God. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the righteous requirements of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, this righteous requirement is necessary because of sin, our sin. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Therefore, we are unrighteous. Unrighteous means we don't line up to the standard of righteousness. We're unrighteous. We've sinned. We have gone away. Righteousness doesn't change. When we're unrighteous, we move away from righteousness. Sin breaks our relationship with God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals how we can be in a right relationship with God by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. See, there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? Two kinds of people. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous don't have a right relationship with God, are under the wrath of God. The righteous have a right relationship with God. They are right according to God. Unrighteous, under God's wrath. Righteous, they are saved. They have eternal life. The righteousness that God requires cannot be obtained by works of any kind, cannot be obtained by money, living like a Christian, being a good person. You can't do anything to obtain it. The righteous requirement of God is only obtained by placing one's trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so that presents us with a question. Have I done that? Have I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior? Am I a righteous person or am I an unrighteous person? The only way to be righteous is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Furthermore, it brings up another question. If you have done that, have you told anybody? Have you told anybody about how they can be righteous? Because they're not. They're unrighteous. No matter how good they act, they're unrighteous. They're under God's wrath. Have you told them how they can be righteous and not be under God's wrath? So we've set the stage for the rest of the book. It only took us nine weeks to do that. Okay? But we're setting, we've set the stage for the rest of the book. And we're set up to understand how Paul is going to argue why we need justification. 
how that happens, what benefits it gives to us, and how it results in eternity. So it's a pretty exciting thing. So why don't you stand with me and we'll have a word of prayer as we close. And then we have our fellowship uh, time. Make sure our uh, guests today know where they can uh, get coffee and whatever snacks somebody brought. And the kids, if you got your questions, make sure you come up to me. Lord, we give you thanks for our time today together. We're thankful for your righteousness.